Thank you, Dave. I think Dave is probably taller than our average reader because I suddenly realized that the, the screen was rather coming into play with the back of your head. You did, you did very well just to incline uh, at the right angle. Lord, I pray that uh, you will work in our hearts this morning through your word. Give me uh, good words, your words to share with this family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I guess it's an inevitable consequence of calling your daughter Esther that at some stage in her life she'll become known at least for a time as Esther Pester. I'm glad to say uh, at least... Uh, as far as things are concerned at the moment, with 20 months under our belt, um, our little Esther hasn't uh, yet done that much to merit the nickname. There are occasionally times when, when Claire and I get asked for the fifth or the sixth time to read uh, exactly the same story, but that's as far as, as, uh, as the pestering has, has gone uh, as yet. I'm sure, however, that that time uh, will come whether it'll be in the cause of uh, a new teddy bear, um, maybe a party frock, inevitably a pony, uh, or maybe um, in a few years' time, a car. Who knows whether they'll be uh, in that chronological order or not as well. They'll probably come round and repeat, won't they? Frocks sort of go out of fashion and out of sight. Anyway, when such moments do come, I hope that Claire and I, and um, inevitably this is far more likely to be Claire, um, she'll have the grace and the wisdom to handle those well. Jess and Rich, you, like us, have these joys to look forward to as well. Um, Jackson, I think he's, he's off in the haven, isn't he, now? Um, we pray that you give your mum and dad a bit of a break and leave off that um, for a few months at least, okay? But while I've no doubt that um, it is a part of human nature, pester power um, um, specifically seems to have become such a phenomenon amongst um, children and young people over recent years, um, fueled by uh, our consumer society and all the advertising uh, with which they're bombarded, um, such, uh, to such an extent that it's now recognised um, by academics as having uh, quite a significant economic impact. Jesus, too, knew all about pester power, albeit of a slightly different kind. We see in our reading this morning from Luke's Gospel uh, the, the pester power not of a child, but of a much older woman, this widow. Not to a parent, but to a person in authority, a judge. This story that Jesus tells to his disciples is generally known, as, as you would have seen in the Pew Bibles if, if you'd followed the reading there, it's generally known as the parable of the persistent widow. Some of Jesus' parables are rather enigmatic in their purpose, as well as um, ambiguous in their meaning or their interpretation. But this one is absolutely clear in its intention. 
Luke tells us right at the very start of the story, verse 1, that Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That they should always pray and not give up. We can't really avoid the implication of that for us, can we? Jesus calls his disciples, he calls each one of us always to pray, to pray constantly, to pray all the time. I could make a whole load of uh, suggestions about how you could go through um, every day making sure that you do um, your devotional wrapped in prayer as the very first thing uh, that you do when you get up in the morning. You could set your alarm on your phone uh, to ring at midday to, uh, to say the Lord's Prayer, as I know some churches um, locally do. Um, you could um, uh, use the examine prayer, St. Ignatius's examine prayer, at the end of the day to look back over um, what's, um, what's gone on in your day, to, to think about when um, you've been closer to God and reflect on when you've been further away from God. How, um, how God's will has been working through your life during the day. I could give you a plug for our morning prayer here in the Lady Chapel on Tuesdays or uh, first Sunday of the month, the, um, the first priority prayer that we have in the George. All of these are great and concrete things that we can do in terms of building our prayer lives. But I don't want to give you a to-do list. We've all got far too many of those in our lives anyway uh, for me to give you yet another one. Praying all the time, praying persistently, is really about who you are becoming. It's about becoming like Jesus. Jesus, who we read in the Gospels, prayed day and night throughout his time on earth and who's praying for us in heaven right now as well. If you and I are going to cultivate a persistent prayer life, we're going to have to cultivate faith. And yes, there are going to be times when we don't feel like doing it, when it'll cost us something. In prayer, we often find it hard just to get going, let alone to keep going. And sometimes we settle for less. We maybe avoid praying just one more time in case we encounter disappointment. So how do we get going and keep going in prayer? It's not really about attrition. It's not about stamina. It's about faith. I'm sure there will be some of us here this morning who right now are struggling with life. Sometimes those struggles bring us to our knees in prayer. Sometimes those struggles come pretty close to wiping us out as well. I'd like to suggest to you that uh, in our contemporary culture, there's been a growth of what uh, has been described as a victim mentality. But if we turn to this morning's gospel reading, 
to this passage from Luke and look at it closely. We realize that the woman doesn't let her position, her circumstances, get in the way of going to the judge to seek uh, the legal recourse that she needs for the wrongs that have been done against her. She's a widow. She's given an identity uh, that's intrinsically one of victimhood in that society. She's right on the margins of society. She's one of the most vulnerable adults you can think of in that place at that time. In a male-dominated legal system, normally uh, a woman wouldn't go into uh, a legal situation. She'd have uh, her husband or her father or her son or another male relative to speak for her in that situation. But in this case, there is no one. The woman has to speak for herself. She has to represent herself time and again, boldly and bravely, taking responsibility for herself and for her petition. We all go through tough times. At any given moment, there will be a number of us here, maybe plenty of us here, who are facing some sort of battle in our lives. I've known times in my life when I very much felt dependent on other people's prayers because I haven't felt that I've got it in me to pray at that point. And if you're currently in that sort of place, we in our St. Giles Church family, we stand alongside you. We pray with you and we pray for you. If you like, um, do come and speak to me after the service or uh, get in touch with me during the week. uh, And I'd be delighted to pray with you, pray for you about whatever it is that um, may be going on for you at the moment. But there's also a time when believing that, um, well, this is the way that it's always been and this is the way things are always going to be there comes a time to recognize that that that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit in you, in me. It's a time to recognize that there is hope and that there is victory, a victory that has already been won for each and every one of us by Jesus on the cross. It's a time and an opportunity to replace that persistent narrative that you may have that I have had, that I may have in future as well. With the God who persistently pursues each one of us, each one of you and me as well. Persistent prayer is not about hype. It's about hope. Have you noticed that Jesus sometimes does um, this rather strange thing that we, we see him doing uh, here in our uh, passage? He creates a character, um, but then he says, and, and God's not like him at all, actually. 
People sometimes make a bit of a mistake when they read um, this morning's passage and think that the judge who the persistent widow approaches um, is in fact supposed to be like God. Maybe they have a view of God that's consistent with that, um, a God that's um, not interested in their lives. Um, Maybe um, actually a bit like this grumpy judge, maybe a bit like a distant parent or uh, an aloof head teacher, something like that. But that's precisely the opposite of Jesus' intention. God is altogether and totally different from the judge of the parable. In the passage, the only reason the judge, uh, who we're told neither feared God nor cared what people thought, sounds a lovely chap, Um, the only reason why he relents is due to the sheer persistence of the widow. Um, Our translation is apparently rather uh, rather genteel when it comes to, uh, to, to what it says about this. Um, actually, if you, if you look at the Greek, there are, um, the original Greek, there are, there are resonances of, of him being concerned that she's going to come and, and, and give him a good old welly um, because uh, she hasn't received the, uh, the, the, um, the justice for which she seeks. It's not just that he's, he's worried that she's going to be coming back and bothering him. Yeah, there's, there's some real force to this. But God isn't worn down by attrition. God isn't worried about um, getting one round the jaw from us, as it were. God rather takes pleasure in us coming up to him and badgering him in a godly way, in a prayerful way all the time. Persistent prayer is the way we show God that we're open to him and that we're confident in him. In verse 7, Jesus says that unlike the judge, God won't keep putting off those who cry out to him. As we approach him, God has more patience and love and mercy than any of us can ever imagine. And he's waiting for us. If, as Jesus says, this evil judge who neither fears God nor cares what people think, if he relents, how much more Will God, who's on your side, who's on my side, how much more will he come through for us? At the start of our passage, Luke says that Jesus teaches his disciples using this parable so that they should always pray and not give up. Or as some translations have it, they shouldn't lose heart. Sometimes it can be really easy to lose heart, can't it? Maybe when it appears that our prayers haven't been answered. Pete Gregg, the founder of 24/7 prayer move, uh, the 24/7 prayer movement, and, and writer of um, the uh, recent book How to Pray, which is really, really good practical prayer stuff, really accessible. He says that he has a problem with unanswered prayer precisely because he believes in prayer. If we didn't believe in prayer, the fact that God appeared to answer some and didn't appear to answer others um, wouldn't be a problem for him, for us. If we've seen God answer our prayers on occasion, 
Why then would he, as a good God, apparently choose not to do so on another occasion? It's not really the time uh, and the place to go in depth into why God does not sometimes appear to answer our prayers. Um, but um, suffice to say, uh, as Pete, uh, Pete Gregg himself says, that there are three reasons which can be summarized uh, as God's world, God's will, and God's war um, for that being the case. That is, uh, that in some cases, it's just to do with how the world is, how the laws of nature are, that God doesn't appear to answer prayers. In other cases, God's ways are not our ways. And although it can be really, really difficult to understand, we know that his will and his plans are always loving and good. And finally, um, the third thing, God's war. That we're in a battle. We're waging spiritual warfare alongside God against the powers and principalities of this world. And that sometimes, even though God is God, his will on occasion gets resisted in this world. But if we do seem to lose heart, how can we reset our faith? Personally, I find it's very often um, when I'm out in the open air, um, enjoying the wonders of God's creation. Um, sometimes as well, um, wandering along with, um, with uh, the Bible on, on my phone, um, reading scripture as I go along and, and trying not to trip over. Um, that works for me in terms of, um, of, of resetting myself, resetting my faith in God. I wonder what resets your faith. Maybe it's something uh, similar. Maybe it's worship. Um, Faith, uh, of course, is both a gift of the Holy Spirit as as well as one of the fruits of the Spirit. And being a gift, we can ask God for that gift. Ask God for that gift of faith. When we bring our weaknesses and our needs to God, as this widow does, as she approaches the judge, Jesus desires not only that we don't lose heart, but also that our hearts will be enlarged, they'll expand beyond ourselves. When we draw close to God, when we partner with God, we begin to care so much more about what he cares about in this world. The most obvious reading of this parable is that we identify with the widow, approaching this um, slightly pantomime villain style judge. But at times, in the busyness and the pressures of life, uh, the secularism that surrounds us, the commercialism that surrounds us um, here in 21st century West Bridgeford or wherever you've come from today, The risk is that you and I sometimes can find ourselves also looking more like the judge. The judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. When we fulfill Jesus' concern that he expresses at the end, will will we fulfill Jesus' concern that he expresses at the end of our passage? That when he comes... He will not find faith among his followers. Will we still be faithful 
Will we still be faithful prayers, faithful intercessors, partnering with Jesus in our prayers for justice? The politician and social reformer. And it's not often that we seem to see those two phrases hand in hand these days, is it? Um, the politician and social reformer William Wilberforce wrote in his prayer diary that he desired to live for the glory of God and the good of his fellow creatures. At the age of 27, he sensed a call on his life to fight against the terrible evils of the slave trade uh, between Africa and the Americas. In the following year, 1787, he presented his first bill to Parliament proposing the abolition of the slave trade in Britain and throughout her then empire. The bill was highly unpopular. It went against a huge array of vested interests, powerful men. And Wilberforce was subjected to public ridicule. Nevertheless, he presented a second similar bill in 1789. A third one in 1791, again in 1792, 1794, 1796, 97, and 99. Every single one of them failed. In 1831, Wilberforce wrote to the Anti-Slavery Society, of which he was one of the founder members, our motto must be perseverance, and ultimately I trust that the Almighty will crown our efforts with success. On July the 26th, 1833, the British government finally removed the last obstacle to the complete abolition of slavery throughout Britain and the whole of its empire. Wilberforce died three days later. Faith is what fuels prayer, and prayer is what fuels justice. Will we dare to pray and act like Wilberforce, like the persistent widow? The call to persistent prayer isn't a call to an obligation or a duty. It's a call to welcome the knowledge and the love of God into our hearts, into our minds, into the whole of our lives. And with these to live out a life, an adventure of faith. My prayer for little Jackson right on cue back there this morning is that as he grows over the coming years, he too will welcome the knowledge and love of God into his heart and his mind and throughout the whole of his life. And so he'll live out his own glorious adventure of faith, carrying with him God's love and hope and justice every step of his way. 
are times for each and every one of us when we don't trust the promises of God. I know I've been there. We let fear into our lives. But when we do choose faith over fear, when we pursue Jesus with this persistence of prayer, we begin to see things shift. We see justice replace evil. We see the light of Christ drive out the dark. We see God's kingdom break into our world in all its richness and its glory. Will we, will I and will each one of you choose to pursue this Jesus? In his holy name. Amen.